Can anybody hear me? <laughs> Do you guys know these guys? I think every yeah, I think everybody does because they've been around for a really long time. And um, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna ask you right now. You just think it in your heart. Don't say it out loud because I don't want you to be wrong publicly. But which one of these is the best? No, I don't say it out loud. I don't want you to be wrong and shamed in the congregation. Because it's Superman. You know it is! You know it's Superman! Listen, my younger brother and I have this debate often. He's much more of a... Mar- I saw someone shaking their head at me from the, from the floor. Uh, we have this debate often. He is much more of a Marvel fan. Listen, I love Marvel. Uh, what's that show called? The Avengers, have you heard of it? Uh, the, the Final Stand. That is... I cry every time. I don't know why. I think you know why. I think it's a picture of the final battle. I think it's a picture of the... I'm going to stop. So Superman is the best. You know why? He's the most like Christ. And frankly, friends, and Tommy has said this before, every movie that he watched, don't watch a movie with Tommy because after the movie is over, he's going to tell you where Christ was in it. And you know why that's the case? Because Christ is in every story. Every single one, and a good one that is, uh, maybe not some of those B-horror movies, but most of the, any of the good stories have a semblance, have a taste of Jesus because it is the ultimate story. It is the story that is woven into the foundation of the earth and into our hearts, and we long for a hero. And it's a hero like Superman. It is, And I'm not going to go into it, but there was a movie. There's been a bunch of them. Um, Christopher Reeves always has a special place in my heart. Uh, but this man... In one of his movies, I think it was one of his. Oh, gosh, there's so many Supermen. But um, they literally watch it. I don't know if they had a Christian working on set or whatever, but there's this scene where he dives down into the earth, which is biblically, that's the place of Sheol, that's the gates of hell, and he busts through them. Earlier, he's up in the skies, and you know what he hears? He hears this heavenly, starry voice that says, You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Friends, tell me it's not Superman that is the best. Tell me. Don't tell me. This other guy, he's good though, isn't he? Woo! Uh, He's a little dark. You guys know what he's all about. What's his main, his main game? Superman is uh, just and righteous. Oh, that's what I was going to say. My brother always says about Marvel, he loves it because of the complexity of the characters. And that's not how he talks. Uh, but they're, they're, they struggle with right and wrong. And that's great for us to learn from. But we need a Superman. Anyway, but Batman, Superman is pure. He's just. He's black and white. He has some tough times, but he always does the right thing. Because he's, he's a Jesus figure. But Batman, you does not always do the right thing. I've seen him kill people in some of the... Uh, woo, sorry, kids. I've seen him do it um, in cartoons. They're adult cartoons. Don't watch them on your own. Uh, in comic books, there's blood, there's gore. And what is he usually doing? It. What, who's the type of person he's usually doing that to? Bad guys! Batman is about justice. Woo! His whole life is based on justice. I don't need to tell you the story. It's well known. I just still hear in my head, no, 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 no. You guys know Batman. But how was he formed? How was he created? Providentially by God. How was he formed? The death of his parents. 
which was unjust and, un, and not right, and then spends the rest of his life seeking justice for those who cannot have justice. Batman is a man about justice. And in that sense, he reflects the character of God deeply. Are you nervous? We're talking about justice today. And I know many of you, because of the deceitfulness of this world and the evil one, that word is a trigger. But for just a moment, if you need to close your eyes and pray, please do it. Ask that the Lord would protect you from the evil one, that he would protect you from the lies that you have been hearing constantly, that this word is not God's word. It is justice. We're going to talk about, and it's unavoidable, all of Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching. And so we're going to look at God's word today. And it's all about justice. Not Batman justice. The way God does justice. Okay? Um, let's look at our scripture. Wait, is it time yet? No, it's not time yet. Listen to this. Thank God for notes. Matthew 23, 23. <laughs> if you ever needed a verse to remember, 23, 23, okay? Matthew 23, 23. It says this. Woe to you. Woe to you. By the way, these are the people that Jesus gets the most angry at. It's the professional Christians or the professional pastors. It's the, it's the people that are the righteous ones in their own eyes. Woe to you. It's an exclamation point. I'm going to read it loud, okay? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Like, I got a friend nearby in my neighborhood that has a little, mint, a little garden, right? That they're taking the leaves. Ooh, did you hear my knee pop? Getting down low. And they, they're picking one out of every ten leaves in order to be righteous. You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters, the things that are the heaviest, that have the most weight in our faith, the weightier matters of the law. And when he says the law, he means the Old Testament. But that word, the law, is also translated in the New Testament, logos, which means the word, which means God's instruction, which means the second person of the Trinity. More on that later. Not today. You have neglected the weightier matters of the logos. Here it is. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, Woo, this is a little dig, without neglecting the others. You, sh you should be doing that. We can't, we're not perfect. That's not the message today. Here he gets mad again, or I think he's been mad the whole time, with a righteous anger, not my anger. You blind guides, these people trying to guide the people of God, straining out a gnat. Oh, I caught that gnat. And swallowing a camel. I don't know if you've seen a camel. They are large animals. I saw one in Florida, of all places. It was at a zoo. We're about to sing a song. Not right now. Don't get excited. Well, you can get excited. Who am I to say? But later on, we're going to sing a song called Amazing Grace. Have you heard that one before? 
Now listen, they mixed it up a little bit, and I don't know why, but um, that's not our music people's fault. But Amazing Grace is coming up. Let me ask you this question. When you sing that song later, remember back to this moment, connect it back together, and ask yourself, as you sing that song, as you pour your heart out, as you've sung it at countless memorials, as you've sung it since you were uh, born by the Spirit, how important is grace in your life? How important is it? How weighty is mercy and grace? Where does it rank in the top ten things of your heart and your faith? Pretty far up there, right? How about faithfulness? (laughs) Where does that land for you in your heart? as the most crucial and important aspects of God's teaching and His law, His guidance for His people. Where does faithfulness rank for you? What about justice? Does it rank at all? It hasn't in my own life. Does it make it into the top ten? Jesus, the person that we have gathered here to worship today, to bow before, to sing songs, to praise, to ask for healing in our lives, that, the one, says that the weightiest and the most important, those with the most substance, are starting, and this is in order, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Okay, uh, we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 5. Open your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. I'm so glad you're here. But um, I encourage you to bring one next time. It's God's Word. It's not um, the Samuel show. It's the God's Word show. And anything that is, I'm going to pray for this in just a second. So I'm just going to stop. But we're going to, I'm going to pray. Let's pray. My Father in heaven, remove anything that is Samuel. Crush him. Bury him deep beneath the ground that he may never come up again. Let us live according to your word, your word. May the people of God who are gathered here today by the power of your spirit hear what you have to say today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah chapter 5. I'm going to read the whole thing. Are you guys getting tired of it? That said, there is a passage coming up. I saw it. I've read it. I've prayed over it. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, so don't worry. It's like a census thing or something. There's, God's word is there. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this one I, I am. I am. If I uh, can find my place. Nehemiah is tricky because it's the last narrative, but it's before um, Psalms. Okay, I don't know about you, but the ESV, which is the the right version to read, (laughs) friends, I'm joking, Um, the title is this, Nehemiah Stops Oppression of the Poor. Take a deep breath, it's going to be hard today. Now there arose a great outcry of the people. (laughs) 
and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Notice the women, the women are standing up for what's right. For there, I just, sorry. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it's not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Verse 6. I was very angry when I heard the outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you're exacting interest each from his brother, and I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were, they were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brother and my servants are lending them money and grain. Nehemiah is a part of the problem. Let us, let us abandon the exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, I'm sorry, orchards, orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, crane, wine, and oil that you've been exacting from them. These are all legal things they were doing, by the way. Then they said, they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise, so may he be shaken out and emptied. And all of the assembly said, Amen. And praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 30th second year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people, and they took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also preserved in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were ga- all my servants were gathered there for the work. 
Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet, for all of this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. I told you it's going to be a difficult one, friends. All right, we're going to focus in just on two verses uh, and, and not in the right order. Well, in the right order for us today. Uh, verse 9. Look at verse 9. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. If you need a definition for what justice is, that's it right there. It's when you look around and you say, that's not right. Sorry, Alex, I didn't mean to point at you, or people at home. <laughs> that's not good. You look at something and you say, that's not good. I'll tell you a little, I got a lot of stories. Somebody raise your hand if you're getting tired. No, just keep it to yourself. You can walk out if you need to. Um, I went to seminary in Orlando, Florida, the same seminary that Tommy was at. I taught at the same high school that Judy taught at. You guys, that's God's providence. Granted, we're a few years apart. <laughs> But we were in the same places, trained under the same people. One of the, my fellow seminarians was an Amish-looking guy. I think he really adopted the Amish lifestyle. Like He had a much sweeter beard than I did. Um, but he also adopted this kind of philosophy. And I don't, know that the, I don't want to blame Amish, okay? Um, I just know this man. And this man had convicted in his heart, was, had be- believed strongly, as far as I could tell, was a faithful man. It's between the Lord and him what his heart was. He felt convicted to not use hospitals or medicine. That he would trust with, on the Lord. And that's fine. I'm not going to inject myself here. But then something happened. His wife got pregnant. What a blessing. But their child was not going to survive. They didn't go to a hospital. And you know what that man did? Swallowed his pride. And he took that child to a hospital. And that child was saved by God through the hands of a medical professional. Now compare this story to another story. When I was in Florida, the closest place of need was Haiti. And I believe God works all things together. I got some Haitian neighbors in my backyard, uh, and I love them dearly. And I think that's part of God's work in my life. Sorry, not about me. Um, but when we were there, one of the things that struck me to my core, even young, foolish, rash Samuel, felt this. Spock, as Tommy likes to call me. I felt it in my heart even then. We would, we would visit the folks in the countryside. And someone asked, you know, we're like a little mission team, like, yeah, we're saving the world. And uh, the missionary's like, no, you're not. But anyway, um, the missionary, one of our people said, 
said, why are there all these tombstones outside of each of these homes? He said, well, those are the buried children. Why are, what? Why are there so many of them? Because, one, whether the child makes it to birth or not, the tombstone is created for that child. That said, in these rural areas, there's no access to health care. And so many of these children die. Six to seven tombstones at each place I would see. These are some of the most faithful people I have ever met in my life. And we have folks here who have access to some of the best medical care in the world. And we shun it in the name of God. And then over there, we have people whose children are dying because they don't have it. It's not right. We get prayer requests from church members, or, and these were public prayer requests that were sent out, and so I share it with you. This most recent one we've been praying on, uh, I prayed some of it last Sunday. Let me remind you, here's the first one that came in. And I'm not going to tell you who it is. You know who it is. Just leave her alone. But pray for her. I just heard that my brother Roy in the Philippines and his wife Gilda have just been diagnosed with COVID. My brother desatted, lost oxygen, but couldn't be admitted to the hospital because all of the hospitals were full. He has to be treated at home. Please pray for healing and that a hospital bed will be available for him soon. My brother Eddie has been exposed. We're still waiting for the results. First of all, just stop. The hospitals are full? To the point that there's no medical care for someone in their 80s who might die? Let go of everything, friends, and link, think with, you're not your brain with your Spock, but think with your heart for a second. That's not right. That's not good. Update. Three have recovered. My nephew died. My brother Roy is stable, but my other buddy, buddy, my other brother Eddie is in the ICU in a hospital. He got in the hospital, praise God, in a hospital that has run out of oxygen. And my nephews are buying from out of town sources to supply the oxygen. Stop and think for a second, is this ever going to happen to you here? Ever? That the hospital will run out of oxygen and that your family members will have to go across state lines to go and try to find some oxygen for you. Update. My brother Eddie died and is now in the presence of the Lord. Praise God. He is reunited with his... Listen to this faith of this woman. He's reunited with his wife who also died just two months ago from heart failure. They are to, oh, thanks for your prayers. Friends, that's not right. Back in June, this is from a member of our church, someone who worships with you, who has worshipped with you for years, a sister in Christ. Cast away the things you are thinking and that are invading your mind right now and listen with your hearts. I joined a group of farmers some three years ago under an organization called Living Well Kent. I don't know that organization. I'm not promoting it. It sounds nice. 
there's a greenhouse in Auburn that we use, and we, we were also using the outside to grow all kinds of vegetables and crops. This season, the owners took back the farm. So the organizers found us another farm through King County, which is next to Carpenito Farm in Kent. It's where the, is that where the, uh, the maze is? Is that where that is? We started preparing the place, and we have planted some crops. God's at work, right? Here we go. So about a week and a half ago, when some farmers were there, they saw three men with guns walking around the farm and then disappeared into the woods. About an hour later, they heard gunshots. So the farmers ran out there, and they called the police. But the police didn't show up. As of now, the place has been a no-go area. The managers and the people responsible are trying to talk to the police and to the county to try and resolve this. I understand this has happened before when immigrants were given a place to farm. Some people went in, destroyed their crops, and left racist messages behind. Please help me pray for this hatred to stop and that we could go back to the farm feeling safe. This is not made up. This is not another country. This is down the hill. I read the news sometimes. Lord, save me from it. But I, I, it's, I need to know how to pray sometimes. Not about me. I read the news sometimes. And I saw this, this headline. By the way, I heard that there was a government shutdown. Oh, oh there's going to be one. And miraculously, the sun rose again and we're all okay. Anyway, let's move on. This is, the top, this is the one that hit me because this has happened over and over and over again in history. The World Health Organization, an organization dedicated, and they have done very good work, friends. Oh, but World Health Organization workers who were on an, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo on an Ebola mission, and if you think Ebola's bad, y'all, I don't know if you know it, uh, read The Hot Zone. It's a great book. Ebola's no good. So they've sent in help and aid. Praise God. God works through even the organization. I don't know how you feel about the, the who, but they work through God works through that. Absolutely. Where, where healing is taking place, God is at work. But guess what? The workers who were there to heal and to help sexually abuse women and girls. These people thought that they had safety and help. And instead, they were abused and exploited. Like our scripture says, our, some of our females are already slaves. Okay, I'm going to read this part. It's, listen, if you haven't been able to take it so far, it's okay, get up and leave, because this is going to be it. If you need to get out, it's okay. I'll close my eyes. And I'm only going to give you one. And it's from a while back. So that the devil will not invade your mind. And maybe for a moment in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, we can hear it. I had a lot harder things to say, but the Lord kept making me delete stuff. He said, these are your people. You're a part of them. And you are just as stubborn and stiff-necked, Samuel. And I... I've been so gentle with you. Be gentle with my people. 
2012, I was living in Florida. <laughs> Fresh off the boat associate pastor. Uh, just ordained, I'm like, a, like a Reuben, except much smaller and not as handsome. And I was just south of Cape Canaveral where they launched the shuttles in a place called Space, the Space Coast. Uh, when I got there, uh, it's called the Space Coast because that's where all the engineers landed. <laughs> for, uh, they were gonna, they're working at NASA, right? Uh, isn't it weird how God keeps putting me in communities of engineers? I don't know, it's like I'm, 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 I'm built for that or something. But um, early, oh, oh, when I got there, I pulled into the church parking lot and it was, I, I was just visiting and uh, it was before I, uh, I was legit. And there were people out in, the hall, out in the parking lot during the sermon time. I looked at my, I used to wear a watch. <laughs> and they were all staring into the sky. And I thought, the Lord has come. It's now. And I pulled over and I looked up. And you know what I saw? A shuttle. <laughs> because they, these are, these, are my, these are my people. These are Star Trek people. Right? They're going to see the shuttle launch. Absolutely. They're going to pause and go out there and see it. Early that year, in 2012, right as I was being ordained and brought into that place, um, in Sanford. Sanford, Florida was a place just north of Orlando. I, I, before I became, before I was called, before that time at that church, I was in Orlando for a long time, 10 years or so, teaching high school science. God bless those children. Uh, <laughs> but Sanford was a place that I would frequent often because it was one of the places that had a bunch of fields, and I would go out there and play ultimate frisbee. Don't judge me, all right? I love that sport. So I knew Sanford. I'd been there a number of times. I'd frequented the gas stations. I'd seen some people. Um... And there in Sanford in 2012, a 17-year-old, and listen, I, I love you guys. Ezra calls you big kids because you are, and then he looks up to you. But you're children. Okay? I love you. Stop and think for a second of the 17-year-old. There's some of them over there. Beautiful children. Stop and think of a 17-year-old, maybe in your own biological family. Think of the 17-year-old that pops into your head, maybe a grandchild, maybe a great-grandchild. <laughs> a 17-year-old went on a walk. He was he'd been living in a place with a relative. This was his home. Albeit temporarily. Whew. He walked out of the neighborhood and went to a local 7-Eleven. Maybe one that I had been to before. He bought Skittles. He's a child. And an Arizona iced tea. I don't know what's wrong with him. You, like, that's not... The only tea there is is from the South, okay? And then on his way back, as he walked back to his home the place that he lived, the place that he slept, the place where he was supposed to be safe with his Skittles and his Arizona iced tea. He was murdered. He was shot and killed. 
it's not justified. He was shot and killed. That's what the Bible, without... not right. It's not good. Now before we start saying in our minds, well there was this circumstance and, and this happened and of course you have to take this into account and uh, it was raining that day or whatever it is. Stop for a second. Stop. Take a deep breath and let the Spirit of God come within you. And remember, this is the, that's the only one I'm going to do. But friends, there are countless more. Countless more. Let me tell you two stories that happened to me this week that were very convicting to me. One was, um, I was on the, on the church campus, as I am from time to time, and um, I saw a man coming onto the campus. Sometimes we have homeless folks who like to come and sleep here. Okay? Uh, long story short, we think that the best way um, to help those people is to connect them with long-term care, not short-term Band-Aids. And so we partner with people like Vine Maple Place, uh, Union Gospel Mission, so forth and so on. Uh, that said, we, Tommy and I and others have just said, well, they're, you know, they're homeless, they need a place to sleep. We have a preschool now. There's a lot of children here, they're playing around, and so we've been trying to do better uh, we hadn't confronted anybody, but uh, to keep the well areas well lit, to pick up the trash, to let, uh, and if we do run into someone to, to say, brother, we want you to get long-term help, we'll do anything that we can. But I saw a man coming onto campus. I was driving out. I saw him coming. And I parked my car. Oh, I was, Pastor Samuel's going to save the day from this homeless man. <laughs> I was so wrong. God forgive me. He wasn't homeless. He, he in fact looked better than I do when I walk around in my neighborhood, truth be told, with my scraggly beard, my coffee, my lack of appropriate clothing. Um, and I'm not going to tell you his name, but we got into a conversation and I realized pretty quickly that he was not homeless. And one of the first questions he asked me is, what's your heritage? I was like, what? Now, if you've been around, you know there's a state I've been making fun of quite often. You know what it is? You can say it out loud. I say it all the time. It's Mississippi. Yeah, I know it's dark. Don't say it out loud. <laughs> My mom and I have been in a few text battles, love text battles about Mississippi. What? I need to honor her. Um... But a joke I made was, I made to my mom, and I made in, in, in the congregation, and by the way, this is the Lord's discipline, and whenever you're being disciplined by the Lord, it is so gentle. Um, I said, Mom, I prefer, she was like, don't forget your southern roots. And I said, I prefer to keep digging until I get all the way back to Scotland. I thought it was pretty clever. Um, and then God sent this man, and one of his, his first questions I think he asked how old I was first. I said, I'm, I shamefully said I'm only 41. 
and you know, he said, he says, what's your heritage? And I was like, well, I'm not going to tell him Mississippi, Scotland, ah, right? You know what he said? He said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The whole United Kingdom thing, right? You know, he didn't say what you did, but he said, <laughs> he said what, what, uh, what England did in India was not right. And I don't know enough to start teaching you a history lesson, but I know enough that it was not right. And did I, I, you know, later I was like, well, I should have said that Scotland has been picked on by the English. Are there any English here today? You're in trouble. Uh, has been picked on by the English for years, and I know that because one of my favorite movies growing up that I watched over and over and over and over and over again, I watched it, cover your ears, childs, I watched it when I was making out with my wife. <laughs> we were holding each other's hands. <laughs> and in the background was Braveheart. <laughs> That's mostly what I know about Scotland. I, I'll give you uh, my rendition of the verse. The verse, forgive me, Lord. Uh, but it's deep in my heart uh, later. But did I, I thought I should nitpick and, and say, you know, the Scottish people were mistreated as well by the English. Or, you know, I could have pointed out, listen, every people group has their sin. Every single one at one time or another because we are a fallen, sinful race is full of sin. That all people sin. And that's, that's true. But by the grace of God, I was able to hear and listen. Story number two. Again, if you need to leave, get up and leave. No judgment. Oh, this one breaks my heart. I don't know if you know, but I have a little tiny child. She's literally about this big. She is strong in heart, but she is too cute for her own good. Every day when we get home from uh, Sunbeams Lutheran School where they go, who bend over backwards for accommodations for us to keep our other daughters safe at home. When they come home, uh, the first thing they do is they take their shoes off and they go upstairs and they, they, they usually take a bath, but they've been in trouble lately, so they have to take a shower until they can control the water flow of the bathtub. Uh, and they don't mind showers, but still. So they're taking a shower together. Ezra, who is... Sorry, children, if you see this one day. Ezra, who's eight... And Nora, who is three, going on four strong. They're taking a cute little shower together. Um, and Nora leans against the shower door. She's fiery. I, I would imagine either I didn't close, I probably didn't close it hard enough. Anyway, she leaned against it and the door popped open and she fell back down onto the floor. And she immediately started crying. This girl doesn't cry unless she's hurt. And in my sinfulness, I thought this is a teaching moment. Um, we don't, you shouldn't lean against things. Nor She also, like her mother before her, has a problem running into items <laughs> in the house. She trips and falls a lot. So I thought, this is the moment to teach you. And I started to, and then my heart broke. Because my daughter before me was bawling in tears. 
and thank God for the grace of the Holy Spirit that he literally punched the, the idiot in me out of me. And my heart melted, and I got down before her, and I held her in my arms, and I said, I am so sorry, are you okay? And then the Lord drove it home with me a day later. She's a big girl, but we're still working on the nighttime over the diapers, and so I was putting a diaper on her, and she had a huge, huge bruise. A huge one. And I was convicted all the more. That I was supposed to love her, not teach her, or correct her. Verse 6, look at it. Nehemiah says, I was very angry, righteous anger, not our anger, at least usually. When I heard, when I heard the outcry and these words, listen, Nehemiah. Listen, Nehemiah listened. Do you think that man didn't have a lot on his plate? He is literally building the kingdom of God brick by brick. He is building up the walls. He is holding off enemies. He is rallying the people. He is restoring Jerusalem. And you know why? In the providence of God's sovereignty, it is for when Jesus is coming later. If there has ever been a man that could stop listening for a moment to the concerns of the people, it was Nehemiah. When we are listening to people, are we listening? Or are we picking out in our mind as they speak all the ways in which they are wrong? And Presbyterians, God bless them. I love them in many ways. But we as Presbyterians are very good at focusing on the intellectual and the theology and tearing someone down rather than hearing their heart. We are very good at it. Myself as well. I've got this quote as a reminder to my hard heart from a guy named Charles Spurgeon the most lovely Baptist men I've ever known, to remind me of this, because I am, again, Tommy calls me Spock for a reason. I love study. I was tempted many times to say, I need to pursue, like John Frame, the Ph.D., to do logic and study God's Word and make these huge tomes for people to read. But over and over again, and particularly one man named Stephen Childers, who is a professor of mission, taught me that the reason that God has called us is not to be right. It is to reach people for the name of God. And so the long, long journey of this frozen heart becoming thawed so that I could be present with people, in with them in the the midst to emotionally communicate with you, I am not lying. I'm the most introverted person you will ever see. I will collapse in just a moment, okay? But this is what I read from Charles Spurgeon. Guys, God gifted him with a great intellect. I would sooner bring one sinner to Jesus Christ than unpick all the mysteries of the divine word. 
I use that as a reminder to me daily. And as much as I love you all, and I love you more than I've ever loved any other congregation, God's honest truth, I love the Lord more. And if one person can come to Christ by me submitting and laying down to him and what his word, his teaching and saying, then so be it. He will provide. Nehemiah listens. And Nehemiah takes action. Nehemiah takes personal actions in the realm of his personal influence. Where do you have personal influence? Stop. I know you are called to change the world. But in general, nope. It's not top down. It is not by forcing your opponents into submission. It is from the ground up. It is in the humility of Christ. It is in the places that God has equipped you right now, your entire life. Everything that has happened, good and bad, God has worked together for good to bring you where you are today. In your neighborhoods. In your families. In this gathering. And if you're visiting, wherever it is that you gather. Nehemiah uses his place of influence and leadership to urge creditors to relinquish their rights. Remember, this is they had the right to do this. It was their every right. According to the law of God, it was their right. Then, personally, he relinquishes his own rights as a governor. He personally bends over backwards and he sacrifices what was normally his due. Nehemiah recognizes that a huge part of the problem is himself. And so he gives up his right for a salary. Nehemiah didn't deserve a salary. And he provides an open meal out of his own pocket. For hundreds of people, I told you, someone else said it, God's people eat together. He worked as governor for free. He did what he could to alleviate the hunger. He did what he could to alleviate the hunger. Where are the places in your family, in your neighborhoods, where you work or where you are retired, where you see something in your heart, not your head, your heart says, that is not right. Listen. And take action. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, this is a hard teaching. Yet you do, you love us exactly where we are as our Heavenly Father and as dear as Nora is to me, so much more so are we to you and so much so are the loss to you. Move within us 
perform a miracle, resurrect these dead, cold, frozen hearts, blow into fire by the power of your Spirit the ember that still remains within us that we might be on fire for you and your name. Amen and amen.